Greetings, friends, and welcome to a special episode of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord, and uh, listen, so uh, we're recording this on March 18th. Uh, We are days now, almost a week into the, um, the rising crisis around COVID-19 and the novel coronavirus and its impact on the nonprofit marketing landscape. Uh, And so we had already been in production on our fourth season of Group Thinkers, but we shifted the focus with the developments around COVID-19 because it's imperative right now that we as a community come together and learn from one another. Learn how to manage, learn how to activate, learn how to uh, put in place best and better practices for communicating with donors, acquiring uh, donors, keeping the donors that come on uh, during this time and this sort of event. So over uh, the next days and weeks, we're going to bring you a continuous stream of content of COVID-19 related insights from experts both at RKD and in the nonprofit marketing landscape. Today, and with this first episode, my guest is Carla Baldelli, the Vice President of Donor Engagement at RKD Group. Carla and I have worked together for um, almost a year now since she joined RKD and uh, have become fast friends with Carla. She's uh, she's brilliant, as you'll hear. Uh, her background is um, includes deep experience at nonprofits on a national landscape, nonprofits with affiliate models in place, healthcare, uh, and and other cause related nonprofits. So Carla brings to this experience of having worked as a mid major gift officer with these organizations uh, through 9-11 and through Katrina and the Great Recession and even things like H1N1. And so on this episode in particular, Carla is going to share with you um, a couple of perspectives on communicating with donors, not just major donors, but communicating with your donors in general. And very specifically, uh, something that you as a uh, nonprofit marketer, as uh, executive director, as a decision maker, even just as a leader in your team can do today to help you cope and tackle the, uh, the evolving elements around the coronavirus. So let's get straight to it. Here's Carla Baldelli on Group Thinkers. Okay, so hi Carla. Hey Justin. <laughs> oh, this is so funny. We're we're used to sitting like across a table from each other. Chatting. I know. But, I kind of like this though. I get to see a different side of who you are. I like it a lot. <laughs> you know, with the beanie, and it shouldn't surprise you. So you know, I've got I've 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 uh, I'm able to here. It's pretty authentic from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, I um. Yeah, I still have my sneakers on, so you know, shouldn't be surprised about that either. So, 
sneakers on today too. So we're all good. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. A little comfort while we're getting through this, this current reality. So I wanted to uh, spend time with you this morning talking about uh, our current reality in light of uh, COVID-19 and uh, based on your background and your perspective, I think there are some wonderful tips that we can share out with uh, our clients and with folks that are in the nonprofit uh, space. Uh, before we get to those things, I, just to kind of center uh, your background. I would love for you to share your journey so that our audience can uh, get a framework for why you're such an expert on the topics that we're going to cover today. Well, I think the short answer is I've done everything wrong at least once or twice. <laughs> and so I figured out how to do it better. That yeah. certainly doesn't make me an expert. But I, um, I've been in nonprofit for 20 years and I got into it quite by accident. Um, like most people who love nonprofits and volunteer work, I started as a volunteer. I, like most people, have another career before this one. I was actually in the entertainment business. You have an interesting background as well. So it really sounds better than it actually was, right? <laughs> it, um, it does. So in the midst of what other people seem to think was a glamorous career, I was enjoying myself as a volunteer um, the most. That's what was the most rewarding to me. And I started with um, Junior League. Um, I was my best friend said, I think you'd be great at helping plan this gala. Well, that all party was all you had to say to me. And I was like all about that. And I live in Dallas. And so it was, um, you know, pretty big deal here. So I started um, in that way, ended up being charity ball chairman a couple of years and expanded to um, my son's private school and then to my church, you know, just really enjoying the volunteer thing. And at a certain point, I decided to make a career change. And my husband said, you know, if you could maybe do that volunteer thing for a living, we would see you more. It might be great because you seem to love it. So that's how I got into it. But then it was a real shock going from being a volunteer fundraiser to being a professional fundraiser was not the easy transition that I actually expected it to be. Of course, I thought I knew everything. I knew exactly how everything was to be done because there were extraordinary staff members that were coaching me all along the way. But of course, I always thought it was me who was mm -hmm. so successful all on my own. Um, so I started my career. Um, I was really fortunate. Um, I started at the Susan G. Komen Foundation as their national um, vice president of major gifts. And then I've been with several big nonprofits, but most notably the American Heart Association. And then the last few years, JDRF is their vice president of donor experience, um, always in that major giving or mid-level giving or gratitude, stewardship, really the relationship-based um, initiatives around all the organizations where I've served and and they've all been great organizations and given me a lot of latitude and allowed me to make mistakes and um, allowed us to figure out as a team what worked for us. So um, that's a background about my career, but thinking about today and what's going on in the world, um, when I first started my career, my first job at Komen, I mean, we had 9-11 happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I was new in the business, first of all. So I had never experienced or navigated a nonprofit through those types of waters. And obviously, the world hadn't either. Mm -hmm. And so we just um, we decided that we were just going to do the right thing. What we thought as people 
would be the right thing to do. And so we develop strategies around that. And so the strategy that I kind of shared with our team yesterday um, was basically based on that. You know, uh, I want you to unpack that strategy, but, you know, I think that it's important that we say that um, we're all taking this current reality moment by moment and day by day. Right. And so, you know, there are lessons that we've learned from 9-11. There are lessons that we've learned from the Great Recession in 2008, and they're transferable, but they don't exactly fit what's happening no. right now. So it's yeah, so we're pulling on these things and they're they're lessons and and they're, you know, the recommendations that you have are a wonderful launching point of something that people can do today, but tomorrow may look different, right? right. So talk a little bit about uh, before we get specifically into this idea of wellness checks, sure. which I love. I want you to talk about humanized personalization because that's a, a thought process that is an important grounding point for uh, for the sector, especially in light of COVID nineteen and its current impact on how we're all working. Well, humanized personalization is um, just a version that of donor centricity you know quite frankly donor centric doesn't mean anything to anybody because we use it so much that they're just words that we say well we're a donor centric organization well just because you say it doesn't mean you actually are and um so a few years ago when I was at JDRF, I had the opportunity to really unpack that because the organization made a strategic shift to actually figure out what donor-centric meant to them. And so then I was able to look at it through a really broad lens. And so humanized personalization comes from that exercise and that exploration into really human nature and humanity. And why do people um, choose to invest in the missions of nonprofits? Why do they want to partner with them? What are their hopes and dreams? And realizing that a nonprofit's job with our donor base is to help them achieve their hopes and dreams through a partnership with, with our mission. And how do we do that? Well, what I realized was, at least in the organizations where I had been serving, is that when we were talking to our donors, we were always talking to our donors about what we were doing mm -hmm. and how our donors were making us great. And we felt like because we put a tagline of because of you at the beginning or because of you at the end, it made it about them. And when you start talking to donors or, or investors or volunteers, they don't necessarily see it that way. Hmm. So we would say things like, well, Justin, because of you and your generosity, we were able to do these amazing things. And oh, by the way, thank you. And, you know, there, there's really nothing wrong with that. You know, it, it still feels good um, and it feels really good from a nonprofit's perspective. But if I said to you, Justin, you have changed people's lives because you made a decision to invest in the mission of making these great things happen. I feel better. I like, uh, that gives me warm fuzzies, which I think is the point, right? It, it, that is the point. So what we realized, we began to test it and not test it like in a big direct mail kind of way, but we just began to test it anecdotally. You know, when we were in our relationship building moments, if we changed our conversation a little bit or we changed our email a little bit, and sometimes it was just changing pronouns. You know, it wasn't even any because I said the same thing. 
I just said it in a different order to put you at the center of it, not the organization at the center of it. And so that really is the premise behind humanized personalization. You know, nothing says that I don't know you faster than dear friend. Um, <laughs> you know, sure, sure. So if you know me and I'm investing with you to partner with you, then I would expect you to know my name and to I would expect to, you know, feel like I owned part of your mission because mm -hmm. I was investing in the work. So really, it was just as simple as that, realizing it's more about how people feel about what they're giving to and helping them own it, putting them at the center of it and coming at it from their point of view. Yeah, I think it's 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 truly the baseline for this idea of wellness checks because it, it, it's about relationships. So uh, yesterday you shared with the team a, a recommendation of something that organizations can do right now. Like it's not something that you have to plan and get to a production cycle, something that organizations can do right now in the midst of this COVID-19 reality to help make an impact and connect with their donors. Uh, and you called it wellness checks. W what is that and, and how does it work? Well, because it started at 9-11 um, and I've used it, this particular strategy then, and then, you know, in the recession and then with H1N1 and then, and then in disasters, you know, that are regional for Harvey or in Katrina and all of those things. So in the midst of these really uncertain times, people, they're they're filled with fear because we don't know, and um, it doesn't matter who you are, your economic situation, your gender, your education status. In the midst of these uncertain times, people are full of fear, and they need and, and people process in different ways. You know, they process through reading or writing or watching TV, but most of us process in some way by connecting with others. Mm. So I called them wellness check at nine one one at nine eleven because we were calling people in New York City to check to see if they were okay. I mean, we really, when I said we decided to do what was the right thing. And um, we decided we weren't worried about fundraising. Mm -hmm. We needed to check to see if our people were okay. And we knew that every single one of them um, had been impacted tremendously mm -hmm. by someone that they know and love yeah. in that particular part of the country. And, um, and I might cry even talking about this because as we got on the phone and we began to initiate those calls, first of all, it was really scary because we couldn't get through to most of those people. Yeah. And I, like most of our clients, I knew our donors. They Not only were they my donors, they were my friends, people yeah. I was in relationship with. So there was this genuine worry about their well-being and, and were they okay. And um, what we found was when we called people just to say hi, um, Charlie was was one of my dear friends. And I said, Charlie, I just wanted to call. And This is Carla. I just wanted to call and check on you and Lisa and see how you're doing. This is such a dramatic time for all of us, but you were you were at ground zero, and mm -hmm. this call has got no other reason except to, to say that we care about you and see what we can do for you. Yeah, I and mean, it's it's it, it's huge, right? I mean, just this idea of checking on people, and certainly huge then, but it's also huge now. I mean, we're seeing that as a, a recommendation in terms of your friends, your, you know, your relatives, your loved ones, but it also applies to our connection to donors. 
Absolutely. And, and also, depending on what your mission is, mm-hmm. um, people could really be suffering in different ways. Yeah. So, yes, there's the emotional support and connectivity. You know, in the midst of crisis, nobody's calling anybody because you don't want to bother them. Right. And people are lonely and they're fearful. But I, I remember Harvey a couple of years ago in, in the Houston area, which most of our, I'm sure most of our um, clients do remember whether you were in the midst of it or you you had a disease that was impacted by it. I, at the time, was at JDRF and we had a Houston office and um, it was really scary we didn't know what was happening but on top of that there were people that had type 1 diabetes that couldn't get their insulin because they couldn't get to pharmacies and so we initiated wellness checks and that Mm in that time frame, first of all, just to reassure them, let them know that we were remembering them, but also to let them know, do you need help? Can you get your insulin? This is how we can help you. We're going to have an insulin drop at this place. Can you get there? Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a very sincere effort to help people. Um, and yeah, and we had the same thing happen in Katrina. At the, during Katrina, I was with the Coast Guard Foundation and um, actually, um, actually, no, I wasn't. I was with the Coast Guard Foundation, but not then. But the story is, is that people couldn't get through on their phones to call 911 to get the help that they needed. And they right. were trying to call the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard number happened to be the Coast Guard Foundation. <laughs> and so the Coast Guard Foundation initiated really quite organically wellness checks in that area and then they were able to um, initiate help to people that needed it or give them the reassurance that you know what you're worried about your neighbors and your friends but um the coast guard is here to help you they're helping people now and um and we're there for you so in every situation it's different COVID 19 is a whole new animal and as you said when we started we don't know what's going to happen in an hour We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I think at the moment, everyone feels it's not people in a region. It's not people in an area Mm -hmm. that we all feel so bad about and we want to help. This is happening to each and every one of us. Right. It's totally affected. Yes. And, and, you know, the, I'm sure most organizations, if they have shifted to work from home, they're having an increase in communication or attempting an increase in communication. Right. It's the same thing. Same thing as reaching out to loved ones. Same thing as reaching out to personal relationships. It's reaching out to your donors and just checking on them, right? I mean, you so you, you provided us with uh, a, an anatomy of what one of these calls might look like. And you've touched on a little bit, how, how would this call work outside of saying hi and, and how are you? What, how do you, um, how, what else do you communicate to someone? You, you're very transparent and you just communicate that, you know, this is a really interesting time and mm-hmm. people have been on your mind and you just decided you were going to take the people that were important to you that were, you know, could come across your mind and place a call and just to make sure you said hello, you were thinking about them and check in. How is their family? You know, I just look at my own situation. My son is home. My son is in his early 20s and he works, but he's in the hospitality industry. Well, now he's unemployed. Yeah. So he's home. Now, luckily in our family, we're all healthy, but my husband has, you know, underlying illnesses. Mm -hmm. So those are things that just me personally, I'm impacted twice and no one in my family has this. Yeah. 
So I would assume I'm fairly average and everyone else has those same things. And sometimes people just want to talk to someone. Um, And they're also curious. There's this intellectual curiosity of, of what other people are doing to help or what they can continue to do to help. That's not the intention of the call. The call is just to say, how can we help you? Do mm-hmm. you need information? And it, I mean, I remember last night, my son's out of a job, right? People were texting me all the different state of Texas ways for him to get help. And a lot of them I hadn't seen. So that mm-hmm. shared information was, I was very grateful for that. Yeah. So this morning he's in the other room. <laughs> Going through all of those great resources that people that, you know, cared about me to reach out um, shared with me. So it's the same type of thing. Um, And every mission is different. So in a hospital situation, a donor is going to wonder, how are are you prepared to help? Um, What will happen if you get overrun? Um, What about people who are there fighting cancer or Mm -hmm. they're fighting other types of diseases? How are they going to be impacted? And they're concerned about those things. So that's not the purpose of the call, but the call could go in that direction. It could totally go in that direction. Were you going to ask something? No, I I was just going to say that it just, it could totally go in that direction. And so, you know, whether or not that's uh, a staff person uh, or if you're enabling volunteers, which is a great way for volunteers yeah, to be absolutely. a part of your mission right now, you provide them the list, you provide them the talking points, uh, you want to make sure that they can understand the connection back to your mission, uh, if there is one or detail for them what that connection is so that right. that way they can also have that be a part of how they're uh, being human and reaching out to people for these wellness checks. And volunteers love it. Volunteers are sitting at home just like we are, wondering what they can do. Um, and so it's a great way to activate your volunteers. You just have to prepare them and make sure they know that this is not a big deal call. This is not something that they're trying to deliver some talking point. Right. It's a very personal connection call. Um, if you're in a food bank, obviously it's all hands on deck right now right? Um, because they're heavily impacted by what's going on on so many different levels. And so volunteer help is a tremendous way um, to be able to activate the same sort of strategy, but bring your volunteers and let them know that they're making a difference in the lives of the people that they already care about. And it also becomes something that I know that many organizations are looking at or making shifts of their uh, their near-term events into something right. virtual, right? Because we're in event season for walks or runs or galas, et cetera. So it becomes something where you can uh, provide that donor information about how to stay connected to the organization and what uh, what you're doing. That is absolutely right. Right. I mean, you know, it's heartbreaking to me having been in the business for so long and and I have a real love for events and um, and people work so hard on those. The staff people at every organization work really hard and they put their they that not only do they put their hard work into it, they put their heart and their soul into creating experiences for their their constituents to come together. And it's really disappointing for them to have to cancel. Not only is it a huge revenue impact, because in most of these cases, they're not getting their deposits back. So they're still having a huge outlay of revenue without a return. 
And so these types of phone calls to people who are the event leaders and the event participants, the people who've already said, I'm with you, I'm going to be there, um, to let them know that um, they're still important and that we're sorry, but, you know, for the safety of the community, we've, I mean, this is, these are courageous decisions yeah, that really nonprofits are. are having to make um, because people's lives not only with COVID-19 are on the line, but people's lives who are dealing with the missions that these organizations are leading. Um, in many cases, you know, it's um, it's very important to the people who receive, to receive the delivery of their mission. So these phone calls are imperative in those particular cases to let them know we're going to gather at some other time. Your dollars are still going to be used and are more important now than ever and that we are going to stay the course. I think that's an important message mm -hmm. um, is because it's what are we doing right now? Well, you know, the sky seems like it's falling right now. And the truth is right now the sun is out here. We're mm -hmm. at my home and it's not falling and we will get through this and you know what we'll be better on the other side mm -hmm. um every time there's adversity i tell my kids always you know i wish we weren't going through this but the truth is when we get on the other side we're just going to be better for it yeah and um and i think nonprofits, if they initiate real caring thoughtful strategies will be better on the other side and so it's important to let people know we're not changing our mission because this has happened, our mission is now more important than ever. Not only, I mean, let's just say, let's just say it's cancer. Well, cancer patients are vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. So that just, it just simply really makes it more solid the mission because the, um, the need to accelerate a cure or accelerate treatments so that we're not as vulnerable next time there's a pandemic. Right. Hopefully there will never be another one, but you right. know, um, we don't want to be naive. It just simply, in my opinion, makes our missions more important than they were two weeks ago. And they yeah. were already really important. And it's, and, and you know, we've talked about food banks, we've talked about health and disease related, but even for animal welfare causes, you know, I was having a conversation with, uh, with one of our animal welfare, uh, experts this morning, and we were talking about the trickle down effect from something like this. Whenever you have a spike in unemployment, people have to make tough decisions for veterinary medicine, dog food, care for their pet, or food for their home, right? And That's so right. so you could have a trickle down effect. There's an immediate impact of you know, the cancellations of events or shifting of events that's taking place, but there's also a longer term impact. So everyone is being impacted by this and it's a, a reason to pick up the phone, uh, no matter what your cause is, and connect with donors and just, right. like you said, check on them. Check on them. These people have been caring for your constituents and the beneficiaries mm -hmm. of your mission for a long time through their philanthropy. It's time for us to turn the table and check on them and say, yeah. you know what? I know this isn't easy for you. It's not easy for any of us. Yeah. Go ahead and apologize for your dog barking in the background and your kids running around because they're in the same situation. Yeah. People need to know that they're not alone. And right now, this is different. I mean, I'm no expert, but to me, it's different from anything at 9-11 um, at or at Katrina or at Harvey. People were gathering and having real empowered moments. Mm -hmm. We're not going to let this beat us. We're going to fight this together. Right. right. And we have the same attitude now, but it's a lot harder when you've been told to shelter in place. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know? It's true. And what about people who have no shelter? 
um, where do they shelter? And so the way people can be empowered is to remember that they're still a part of something bigger than themselves and they still have the ability to help those less fortunate than them and get their minds off themselves. I think that's a healthy thing for all of us to do. Totally agree. Is it, to forget that, you know, that we are, you know, having to be here and we're going to be doing more jigsaw puzzles or whatever, and we don't even like them. <laughs> but how can we help others? And uh, because a lot of people are hurting more than more across the entire country or the world because a lot of the international um, organizations are going to um, really be impacted as well. There's a lot of information we don't know, but I would say that if you are a sponsorship organization, your donors and sponsors are going to want to know how their children are doing. Without a doubt. What's happening there. Um, they wouldn't be investing in them if they didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's such a brilliant suggestion. It's such an easy thing to prioritize and implement, something that uh, you can do right now. And it's a way for you to uh, not appear tone deaf to the current reality. And right. so, Carla, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share it, not just share it with our team internally, but now in turn to share it with uh, our, our clients and the broader nonprofit uh, spectrum of folks that will watch and listen in on this. And so... Um, it's good to see you and and it's it's good to hear oh, such you. well thank you it's it's good to hear such great guidance for for everyone and i would like to just end on one thing yeah let's don't be intimidated by making the calls we've turned into a world where people always hesitate to pick up the phone and call someone yeah they would rather text them they would rather email them or they would rather um you know, do you know, talk to them digitally, which is great. There's a great mm -hmm. use for all of those things. But in the world right now, people need people. Right? Yeah. I think there's a whole there's a song, right? I think Coke did a commercial years ago. <laughs> you know, we could probably get that out. People need people. And if you don't reach them on the phone and don't get to talk to them personally, leave a really kind message yes. and let them know your intention was just simply to check in, make sure they're okay and in hear their voice because you needed as much as they did. And when you hang up the phone, send them a, just a, a personal note. Said, I hope you received my voice message. Um, I just wanted to connect with you. And I hope that all is well. Right? Send them some happy mail. Yeah. Because people could use a little bit of happiness. No doubt about it. Well, Carla, I, I certainly do appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I'm sure we'll see each other again like this <laughs> either later today or, or in the, the coming days ahead. Well, I hope so because it's always a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Carla. Have a good rest okay. of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so there's Carla Baldelli from RKD Group on this very first special edition of Group Thinkers Tied to COVID-19. Uh, really appreciate her perspective and the idea of, uh, at the end of the day, just being human right now is the best thing that we can do. Reaching out to one another, connecting with folks and, and checking on them, uh, using the phone, picking up the phone. And uh, I think that's such an important piece of counsel for nonprofit decision makers, as well as for other folks in the nonprofit marketing landscape. So uh, I hope that you're well. Uh, I'm super excited to bring to you the, the content that we've got 
uh, scheduled over the next few days to record and, and your feed is going to get uh, full of all sorts of, of stuff. So uh, thanks as always for checking out this episode. Do me a favor and throw us a follow uh, at Group Thinkers on Twitter and Instagram. We're going to be talking about this stuff there as well. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you next episode. See you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.